Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. We are celebrating 100 years of women having the right to vote in the United States this year. And I have three stories of some very feisty ladies who lived during the time of the Civil War in Kentucky. They, like other courageous women at the time, endured a dangerous time with courage and shared their stories of a younger, very different Lexington with us during their lifetimes. Elizabeth Hummins recollects her life in the 19th century, leaving us a brief glimpse of what her experiences were like growing up in that time. Elizabeth Jane Betty Harbison Hummins was a local memoirist who left us with a short book about her life. She was born in Danville, Kentucky on April 10, 1850. According to her memoir, published the year before she died, her parents were Anna Ayers and Samson Harbison. Because her mother and father were enslaved at that time, she was also considered enslaved. Elizabeth's mother, who was the cook for David J. and Jane E. Ayers, moved to Lexington when she was only a few months old. Elizabeth's mother was the cook for Dr. David J. and Jane E. Ayers. So when the Ayers moved to Lexington a few months after Elizabeth was born, the infant Elizabeth and her mother moved with them. Records are somewhat ambiguous when it comes to her family details, and there are different spellings of her name and her father's name. For instance, on Elizabeth's death certificate, Her father's name was only Samson, but her daughter was the informant, and she may not have remembered her grandfather's last name. In her obituary, some of Mrs. Hummond's relatives are listed as Harveson, which is spelled with a V as in Victor, rather than Harbeson, which is spelled with a B. And that's what she gives in her memoir. I'll trust her. Betty remembers sitting as a young child with Mrs. Ayers while Mrs. Ayers taught her to sew by hand. She also recalls that as a young child of nine or ten, she was a messenger for Dr. and Mrs. Ayers whenever they wanted to communicate with family, friends, or neighbors around Lexington. This gave Betty her chance to observe the people and everyday events in Lexington before and during the Civil War. In 1861, Betty was 11 years old when the war began for real in Lexington. Betty recalls how this community reacted to the war as first one side and then the other briefly took over the town with skirmishes and maneuvers. In one story, Dr. Ayers, a Confederate sympathizer, 
has her mother and herself make food and clothing for hungry, ragged Confederate soldiers. She recalls also how Union and Confederate partisans lived side by side as neighbors and took turns waving flags to welcome their side as those troops moved through town. There were interesting interchanges between the neighbors and Military affairs became a part of their daily life. The Union soldiers built a fort on Spiegel Hill, now known as Spiegel Heights, conscripting people's slaves for the work, while the poorly provisioned rebels looted stores of the Union shopkeepers to get supplies they needed. She clearly shows us the human cost of war for both combatants and non-combatants. In one story, Betty tells of a day in June 1863 when some neighbor told Dr. Ayers that Lexington was going to be put under the jurisdiction of colored troops. This upset old Dr. Ayers so much that he had a heart attack and died. He is buried in the Lexington Cemetery beside Mrs. Ayers but he's listed in their records as unknown heirs. After the war, Betty and her mother continued to live with Mrs. Ayers until Betty married John Preston Hummins, who lived from 1838 until 1913. She remembered well all the preparations for her wedding and how her mother and Mrs. Ayers used the best linens and silver on that day. She and John were married by her uncle, the Reverend Malcolm Ayers, who was a minister from Danville. The family lived in North Lexington as part of the community there for many years. In 1911, John and Betty are in that year's city directory, living on Kincaid. I found the death record of John Hummins, who died January 31, 1913, and was buried in African American Cemetery No. 2. There is a reference to one daughter, Margaret, with whom she was living in the 1920 census and Elizabeth was living in the home of her daughter, Margaret Green, when she died on the day of December 18, 1928, at the age of 78. Margaret is mentioned in Mrs. Homan's obituary in the Lexington Leader from December 19, 1928, along with many other relatives. Her funeral was held at East 2nd Street Christian Church, and she was buried in African Cemetery No. 2. Because Mrs. Hummins shared her memories, we have a glimpse of life in 19th century Lexington. James M. Roche and Burton Millward transcribed the oral history in 1927 for her book, Reminiscences of Aunt Betty Hummins. There is a copy in the Lexington Public Library's Kentucky Room Collection. The next feisty young woman 
I'm going to talk about is Francis Dallam Peter. Francis Dallam Peter was a young diarist and poet who wrote in Lexington during the Civil War from January 1862 until her death in April 1864 at the age of 21. Francis, or Frank as she was nicknamed, was born in Lexington on January 28, 1843. Her father was Dr. Robert Peter, the distinguished Lexington chemist, educator, physician, photographer, writer, and general all-around Renaissance man. Her mother was Frances Paca Dallum, a daughter from a prominent Virginia and Kentucky family. Miss Peter and her sisters were all well-educated young ladies who attended the newly established Sayre Female Institute, a fashionable Lexington school for middle-class girls. She had the advantage of being surrounded by a large, supportive, progressive family that valued education for all its members, regardless of gender or health status. Her father and uncle were two of the several writers and educators in her family line. Maybe that's where she gets her talents. Frances had a medical condition, perhaps epilepsy, which must have presented challenges for her and her family when you consider the views on such conditions that existed at the time. They did not let this impede Frank in her pursuits. Frank and her family persevered and together collected all the news and gossip from around town. And also there were occasional excursions that she relates in her diary so she could get out and gather material for her diaries, poetry, and essays. They can be found at the University of Kentucky Special Collections in the Evans Papers. Her contributions to the community were far beyond what many people with neurodisrupting conditions experienced at the time. Frances's vivid writings bring us into her time in a unique way, and by reading this work, we gain her own personal perspective of a war that affected the lives of people walking over the same ground that we walk today. The actions and attitudes familiar to Frances, her family, friends, and citizens in Lexington are those we can relate to. She gossips and records the newsy tidbits that are laden with her own special brand of secesh snark and her telling of Union antics, like the famous flag escapades of Ella Bishop. She gives brief references to area battles, fires, troop movements, and just flavor of the community. She also covered the local entertainment scene as the citizenry struggled to create a bit of normality during a highly dangerous and uncertain time. Her sisters would go out to plays, portmanteaus, and pantomimes, then come home and tell Frank all about them when they came back. And occasionally she was even able to get out. As she grew older, she stayed in the house more and more. She often remarked in a rather pointed, direct style that showed her strong Union sympathies. And when describing her secesh neighbors, especially, 
She clearly voiced her disdain and gave detailed descriptions of the comings and goings of John Hunt Morgan and other Confederates who lived across Gratz Park from her. A Union spy could not have done a better job. Today, that diary also might be a riveting blog because of its droll, entertaining nature. Frank's social commentary on her day is one of many Civil War diaries, but it is rare because it gives a unique perspective of daily life here in Lexington and the attitudes in a time whose daily passions have faded from current memory to become little more than a set of historic facts and events and nostalgia. Tragically, she died shortly after her 21st birthday on April 4, 1864, when she suffered an epileptic episode. She is buried in the Peter family plot in the Lexington Cemetery. Ironically, because she died in 1864 when newspaper publishing in town was frequently being interrupted by supply shortages caused by the war, there is no mention of her death in any of the papers that I could find, nor was there any surviving formal funeral notice, such as was often handed out then, and later collected by Cyrus Parker Jones. In 1976, John D. Smith and William Cooper produced a bicentennial booklet, Window on the War, Francis Dallum Peters, Lexington Civil War Diary. Later in 1999, they collaborated again after more research in an edited and annotated version of her diary, A Union Woman in Civil War, Kentucky. This is for the great benefit of readers today. A copy of this book can be found in the collections of the Lexington Public Library. Earlier, while talking about Francis Dallum Peter, I mentioned an event of Ella Bishop saving a flag. I can just hear Ella Bishop shouting, Save my flag! Save the Union! There's an interesting story that is largely being forgotten today. Here's how it goes. On Saturday, October 18, 1862, an incident of great courage occurred in Lexington, and which is hardly remembered now. After the bloody Civil War battles of Richmond on August 29th and 30th, and then at Perryville on October 8th in 1862, there were numerous skirmishes very close to Lexington and all through central Kentucky, and many raids took place. At this time, the Confederate forces led by General Braxton Bragg had begun a campaign with the goal of pushing into Kentucky to separate it from the Union forces. Small bands of Confederates roamed the area, scavenging supplies and attacking small groups of Union forces. One such attack occurred at the Ashland Estate at dawn on October 18, 1862, which resulted in the surprised federal troops being captured. They were later released. The fighting 
rolled through the countryside on into the town of Lexington, where a standoff ensued at the courthouse in which small Union contingents were overwhelmed by larger Confederate forces under Colonel John Hunt Morgan's command. There was so much commotion caused by these small bands of unruly Confederates as they celebrated the day's work. 17-year-old Ella Bishop was standing near her father's saddlery shop near Mill and Main when she witnessed one of these bands riding their mounts recklessly at breakneck speed down Main Street, pulling Union flags and banners down in celebration of their victory. And this is what Frances Dallam Peter records in her simple version of the incident. This is published in the book A Union Woman in Civil War, Kentucky. In Miss Peter's telling, the flag was handmade by Mrs. Frank Fitch to hang at her husband's druggist shop on Main Street. After the raiders tore it down and began dragging it in the street dust, Ella asked for the flag, and since the rebels seemed to think she was a secesh, they gave it to the pretty girl. When someone shouted that she was really Union, she quickly continued her walk home, refusing to give it back. A few weeks later, on November 22, 1862, an article appeared in the Lexington Observer and Reporter, announcing that by order of Brigadier General Green Clay Smith, as of October 28, 1862, a small encampment near the courthouse was officially renamed Camp Ella Bishop. The version related in the paper as part of General Order Number 2 enlarges the drama of the actual event and uses the flowery language of the time. The truth lies somewhere in between. For many years, the flag and the picture of her have been displayed at Waveland Historic Site. Ella married one of the soldiers in one of the Ohio regiments. A year later, in 1863, he had been stationed in Lexington at the time of the incident. His name was Captain E.P. Ransom. They moved to Spring Grove, Ohio, near Cincinnati, where they lived and raised their five children. She died at the age of 81 on October 18, 1926. That was 64 years to the day that she saved her flag. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm. Or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.